For scripture reading, uh, I'll be reading from Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 1 through 22. Uh, there are several things that uh, stood out to me in this passage. One is that uh, those who are called to shepherd God's people uh, do not always do the job. Uh, like God intended, uh, they uh, they become self-centered. They they have a tendency to scatter the sheep rather than call them and care for them and comfort them and heal them. Uh, too often, uh, there are those who uh, are put in a position. Of leadership, and yet they uh, they speak uh, things of their own minds and uh, their own hearts, the philosophies of men, rather than the Word of God. Uh, but in uh, in verses uh, five through six, we see that. Uh, uh, there's going to be a time when God will uh, uh, raise up a righteous branch uh, and he will reign as a king. Uh, and that uh, his name uh, will be the Lord is our righteousness. And uh, we, we feel that that is and believe that that is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, so let's, uh, let's read uh, Isaiah 23, verses 1 through 22. Woe unto the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to, to their fold. And they shall be fruitful and multiply, and I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king. And dwell wi and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called: The Lord is our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives, who brought us up, 
brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But as the Lord lives, who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the uh, and out of all the countries where he had driven them, then they shall dwell in their own land. Concerning the prophets, my heart is broken within me, my bones shake. I am like a drunken man, like a man overcome by wine, declare because the Lord like a man overcome by wine because of the Lord. And because of his holy words, for the land is full of adulterers, because the cause the curse of the land mourns, and the pastures of the wilderness are dried up. Their course is evil, and their, and their might is not right. Both prophet and priest are ungodly. Even in my house I have found their evil, declares the Lord. Therefore their way shall be to them like slippery paths in the darkness, into which they shall be driven and fall. For I will bring disaster upon them the year of their punishment, declares the Lord. In the prophet, prophets of Samaria I saw an unsavory thing they prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray. But in the prophets of Jerusalem I have seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of the evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. And all of them have become like Sodom to me and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. Therefore, thus says the Lord, of hosts concerning the prophets, behold, I will feed them with bitter food and give them poisoned water to drink. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has gone out into all the land. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually uh, to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. For who among you for who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear his word? Or who has paid attention to his word and listened? Behold, the storm of the Lord, the wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will, it will burst upon the head of the wicked, the anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intent of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand it clearly. I did not 
send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed the word of my the words to my people. They would have proclaimed my words to my people, and they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. This is the word of the Lord. If you will now turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7, and we'll continue our study there in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, and our text for today is verses 13 through 23. We're almost through, so hopefully one more sermon will conclude uh, this, this passage. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 23, and again, section three of what I've entitled, Living in Wisdom. Let's read. Enter by the narrow gate, for the way the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The words of Jesus recorded in Scripture for us. We have here three basic sections. The first one, introduced by a very abrupt word, enter. So a direct command, direct imperative, enter. And he introduces the theme of two ways. A gate is noted, a way is noted, and a destination at the end of that particular way. The next section is introduced with just as sharp and abrupt a word, but this one is beware. So wisdom is calling us to enter, but then also to beware. And particularly here of a certain type of false prophet that can be a little hard to discern. And yet Jesus says, I want you to be alert. I want you to live in wisdom in the face of this danger. And we might almost say, we could introduce the next section with the same beware. It doesn't have the same kind of imperative. But this warning is directed more toward us now. It's not so much looking out as it is, again, a call to reflection on the danger of self-deception. 
it's so easy for us to deceive ourselves. While there are people out there like these false prophets who are being deceptive, trying to pose as one thing but inwardly or something else, it's also easy for us to be deceived ourselves. And Jesus warns us about that possibility. The first section of this passage about the two ways, the two gates, the two destinations, uh, is a very, very well-known passage. And in fact, it's, it's shaped the way we talk about Christianity in many ways. When we talk about following Jesus, we talk about it as a pathway. We talk about conversion as a place of, of being humble, repenting, and surrendering. This idea of going through a very constricted, narrow, tight, and the King James says, straight gate. Jesus himself introduced this language in many other places when he said to his disciples, I am the way. He also said, I am the door. And so that language lies behind this simple passage. So when Jesus talks about the narrow gate and he talks about the hard way, we can assume that somehow Jesus himself is intrinsically tied into this imagery. And this way is the way of Jesus. This gate, this restricted entry, this narrow gate is Jesus himself. Finding our way in life can be problematic at times. And you'd think that with the great invention of GPS, uh, we could easily now all get to our destinations as long as we have the GPS turned on. But guess what? Some of the folks at Google and I suppose Apple, I've just given up on that app. They haven't gotten it all nailed down so that while we live on a fairly, what I consider reasonably main road for Rockingham County, uh, if you were to come from a certain direction following GPS, it would take you back a tiny little gravel road down through a barnyard and finally you would arrive at our house because it's, well, it's the shortest way from a certain part of the county. It's not the best way to go, however. And we're those kinds of people constantly needing direction, constantly needing to know which way to take, what the right way is. Probably my most frustrating GPS experience uh, was when my wife and I were in Spain for our 25th wedding anniversary, and we went to visit this castle way up in the mountain one day, and followed the GPS back to where we were staying. It literally took us down through some remote uh, farming areas. The trail kept getting narrower and narrower. The road finally disappeared, and we were in pothole-ridden mountainside country. I wasn't sure we were ever going to get out of there. And then we come across the guy on a motorcycle, and guess what he also has? A GPS. <laughs> the GPS, frankly, was not helpful. It was an absolute disaster. Uh, we did eventually get home, but uh, it was not a pleasant ride whatsoever. And then there's the whole concept of Christianity and finding our way. Incidentally, I suppose the majority of you here may have grown up in a Christian home where the social pressure is greatest toward committing your life to Jesus, toward being a Christian, toward following in the way 
of Christ. And so that it seems to be the easiest way to be a Christian, to respond to the call of Jesus, to be baptized, make a public confession of following Jesus in life. And it's hard for us to grasp this concept of a straight gate, a hard way. But let me say, maybe only initially. And another quick story back, I guess it's been 35 years ago probably. I'm getting old, not 30 couple years ago. Two friends and I decided we're going to hike a section of the Appalachian Trail. We had the AT guide. We found the parking spot, the recommended parking place if you're going to do a couple day hike. We drove to the parking spot, didn't do a lot of other research, honestly. Got out of the car, put on our backpacks, ready to hike the narrow trail. Only to discover uh, it was hard to find. And we kept reading and reading and finally said, well, I think we're supposed to walk right down this four-lane road. And so in Troutville, Virginia, the first part of the Appalachian Trail, if you park at the recommended parking space, is walking down Route 220. Four-lane divided highway. And so we walk about a half a mile. Well, there's a McDonald's. Let's have something to eat. You know, we've got a bunch of dried fruit in the back and dried stuff, and it's not going to be great. So we sat down and had McDonald's for lunch. And then we turn and hike down another state road. And finally, it turns to gravel and go by a big water tower. And then suddenly, it's narrow and steep. And while it really looked great to start with, it wasn't what we had pictured at all, it got very, very hard. The switchbacks, and that night we camped right on top of a mountain in the middle of a thunderstorm, thought we were all going to die. But we survived to tell the story. And honestly, that's often the way, what the way is like for many of us. It seems the most natural thing to do most logical thing to do. Family says, of course you're going to be a Christian. The community surrounds you says, you need to follow Jesus and here's how you do it. And so initially it feels like maybe a wide, broad, easy way. There's even a McDonald's there for lunch. This is great. But we're not quite prepared for the rigors of the pathway. How narrow it gets, how steep, and how hard I'm sure that most of you have seen a painting of some sort depicting these two ways. And most of the ones I've seen, and I searched for a few of them again, depict kind of a common starting point, and there's a narrow gate with a narrow trail, and then there's this big, broad gate and a wide pathway. And they head off in two different directions, and at the end of the one is heaven, at the end of the other is flaming fire of hell. Myron Augsburger, in his book on the Sermon on the Mount, says he was challenged by a friend with that image and said, isn't it more like this? And what he described is a big, broad road. And a crowd of people going down this broad road in a given direction. And in the center of the broad road are a few people trying to fight their way through the crowd against the flow in the middle of the broad pathway. 
So whatever image you choose here, it's important for us to consider that the it's a very, very restricted entrance into the path. The path is narrow. The path is hard. It's difficult. But the end is eternal life. There is a broad pathway. There is an easy pathway. And Jesus describes it as the one that most people are on. And the going is a lot easier. The entrance is not a narrow, restricted entrance. It's the most natural, easy entrance. But at the end is destruction, is judgment. And these two ways, this idea of two ways, was a very common theme, not just in Jesus' teachings, but from the Old Testament, in the time of Jesus, both even in Greek thought, as well as in religious thought of the day. By this straight gate, this narrow gate, we must recognize there is an exclusivity to the claims of Christianity. And that's one of the most problematic truths about Christianity in our culture today. It's when someone says, there is no other way except Jesus. Jesus is the one and only way. Relativists would say to us, take your pick. All paths lead to the same destination. All religions lead us back to God. Jesus said, the gate is narrow. I, he said, am that gate. I am that door. And no one, none, zero, nobody gets to eternal life except by me. And he says, even if you come to me and you enter by that gate, it's not a bed of flowers and roses. It's not a pathway of ease. It's going to be hard. It's going to be very difficult. But I am the way. You come to God by me, and you follow the pathway with me and through me. Jesus is the way. It's pretty exclusive. But those who come to God by the Son, those who follow the Son, will have eternal life. The kingdom of the heavens is theirs. And this kingdom of the heavens is not just a futuristic, final, full realization of the kingdom. It's the kingdom of God, the rule of Jesus, is breaking out even now, even here today. But it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be popular. And we're going to see in the end of this section that Jesus says to those who are his disciples... And if I can be this candid, he talks to a crowd of people like this and says, not all of you are going to make it. You're not all going to make it. Sobering words. He says that to his disciples, the people who have gathered. And he's not talking about the masses out there. He's talking about those who claim to be followers of Jesus, says you're not all going to make it. He also says to these people, I want you to beware. So you're on the narrow path, 
It's hard. You're struggling to find your way. And yet your confidence and hope is in Jesus. You need to beware because on this pathway even there will be many who masquerade as Christians. There will be many who masquerade as followers of Jesus, as teachers of the gospel, but are actually wolves masquerading as sheep. So they can be among the sheep without frightening the sheep and being called out as an immediate threat and danger. So just picture this. You have a flock of huddled sheep or a flock of grazing sheep in the pasture field. And a wolf comes in to the circle. What's the shepherd going to do? What are the sheep going to do? There's danger, death. We have to deal with that wolf. That's pretty obvious. Jesus says that's not the biggest thing to be aware of, is the wolves. It's the wolves who masquerade as sheep. The wolves who put on the guise of sheep. Now, imagine how long that's going to last. When a sheep is hungry, what do they do? When a wolf is hungry, what does he do? Okay, they're going to blow their guys pretty quickly, as soon as they get hungry. But meanwhile, you've allowed them into close proximity. And he says, these wolves that masquerade, they come in sheep's clothing. Otherwise, they'd be easily spotted. You need to be aware of them. And then he switches metaphor and talks about trees and fruit. Both of these metaphors illustrate for us that there are prophets who attempt to deceive followers of Jesus. A wolf will ultimately be exposed even if he's in sheep's clothing. And a prophet, like a tree, will ultimately bring forth fruit. And when that fruit comes to flower, when that fruit is born, you can tell the quality of the tree. A wolf can get away with deception for a period of time. A bad tree can pose as a good tree until springtime. And then when there's fruit, bad fruit, or no fruit, the tree is shown up. And Jesus says the same is true for prophets. Now, I'm not sure what all the implications are for this, but one thing I am clear about is that you don't just immediately assess a prophet. Okay? You can't make the assessment immediately. You listen, you pay attention, and you observe. And the old line, time will tell, really does warrant some attention. Because there are many things that are said by bad trees, by wolves in sheep clothing, that are basically true. And eventually you see the fruit of it. And the fruit is not good. The passage that Brother Jerry read, one of the fruits that Jesus or that God uh, calls the prophets out in the Old Testament who were false prophets or bad shepherds was that they didn't bring people together. They scattered people. And in my short lifetime, I've seen many places where there were God's people assembled and certain types of prophets came through and the result was a scattering and a confusion and chaos instead of a comforting, 
a calling to faith in Christ that nurtures and sustains, but rather brings a fragmentation and frustration and scattering. That's what one of the problems was in Jeremiah, among some others. Some of these prophets, who are false prophets or dangerous prophets, said, well, actually do some pretty spectacular things. But you need to watch out for them because the fruits of those spectacular things are not in keeping with godliness. They're not consistent with the character of Jesus. And you need to be alert to them. You will see them brought to judgment. And one of the things, we could spend a lot of time talking about this. We won't. Time's running out. But some Christians say it's all about the inner life. Some say it's all about the outer life. Jesus says it's about an inner life that produces a certain sort of outer life. Okay, so it's, first of all, who you become and who you are. And who you are shapes what you do and how you present yourself to the world. Jesus is also saying that eventually there will be consistency. Okay, eventually, the, what's done on the outside, what's observable, will be consistent with what's truly inside. So if the tree's bad, the fruit, the outcome, will be bad. Now, the catch is, you can also, for a short time, pose with good fruit. Okay, we also need to be somewhat skeptical of that. So one of the fruits, actually, of faithfulness is, it's not, this is not about sinlessness or being perfect so that we never do anything bad, that there are never any fruits that are not fruits of Jesus, but is the fruit of repentance also present? So when a prophet, or when a believer sins, how does he deal with that? It's not, do they live a perfect life, or is their life a wreck? How do they repent? Do they, in fact, return to the Beatitudes? In poverty of spirit, mourn over what's broken? And if they don't do that, those are not the fruits of repentance. So this is not about perfection, but it's about a heart that's oriented toward Christ first and foremost that produces fruit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. But also where those are lacking, there's the repentance, the sorrow, the going back to Jesus that always takes place. And I would just insert as well that we never can ultimately know another person. We have great evidences but we are broken, being restored, being redeemed, being renewed. And God is the one who ultimately discerns. And yet we need to be living in wisdom so that we discern based on the fruits of a prophet whether or not this is from God. And then Jesus says, beware of this problem of self-deception. And he pictures it this way. There are many people who say, Jesus is Lord. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. I worship Jesus. 
but Jesus does not know them. And at the end of the day, which matters? Whether you know Jesus or Jesus knows you. If Jesus is the judge. We need to be known by him. And at the risk of being petty, I use this as an illustration. So I'm bivocational, as most of you know. So I also try to run a business. And let's say you met someone on the street, and they say, so what, what's your job? Oh, Steve's my boss. Ah, okay. So you work for Byler Storage Buildings. Yeah. And then you observe him doing certain things in ways that you say, I don't think Steve would be happy with that. He's ripping clients off, and he's doing all kinds of other things. And so you call me up and say, Steve, I met Jack. And Jack says he works for you. Jack? I don't know Jack. Never met Jack. What are you going to decide? Here's someone posing as a servant of Jack, as a servant of Steve, whatever, sorry. And he's, in fact, a servant of Jack. <laughs> and in a nutshell, that's what Jesus is saying. There are people who say, I'm, I'm one of Jesus' people. And they do spectacular things. They say incredible words. They prophesy. They cast out demons. They do many mighty works. But you ask Jesus about it, and Jesus says, I don't know them. They're not in my kingdom. They have never reported for duty under me. They've just taken a tagline picked it up, and are out there flaunting their deeds, bearing this tagline, but they've not gone through the gate. They're not following the way. They say, Lord, Lord, and they do all these things, and when you talk to them, they say, I'm doing all these things in Jesus' name. And he concludes the passage by saying, He's going to judge them. Jesus is going to judge these people and tell them they're lawless. So many commentators ask the question, so is this about people who just flagrantly disobey Jesus and yet claim to be followers of Christ? Or the antinomians, as we would know them? People who say, I committed my life to Jesus, now I can live like the devil, and I'm still a follower of Jesus, I can do all these spectacular things? I don't think that's the issue. The issue is rather the allure of what we call broadly the charismatic, the sign gifts, being able to do spectacular things, and we might even add in Pauline language, the ability to speak in tongues, to utter great sayings, to heal people, to do all kinds of spectacular things, and glory in those spectacular fruits as being evidence that I'm a Jesus follower, and saying, I'm a Jesus follower. Look at all the spectacular things I do. Jesus says, don't know them. I don't know them. And there's a, an incredible allure 
to the spectacular. There's an incredible allure to what is showy rather than substantive. Did Jesus utter great words? He did. Did the Apostle Paul speak great words? He did. Did the Apostle Paul do many of these, quote, charismatic things? Heal people, raise people from the dead, cast out demons? Yes, 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 yes to all of those. But he was a follower of Jesus, and it wasn't about that. It was an outcome. It wasn't a test of his authenticity. He didn't set it as a test. It was something God did through him. Jesus makes it clear that there are ultimately two kinds of people in the world. Those that are on the broad way and those on the narrow way. Those who bear good fruit because he has redeemed them and is making them into good trees and those who don't bear fruit or bear bad fruit. And finally, those who are doing great works with great philanthropy, but are unknown by Jesus versus those who are known by Jesus. And Jesus says, they're mine. I know them. Jesus will judge. He will judge those who are on the broad pathway. He will judge those who are either wolves in sheep's clothing, bad trees bearing bad fruit. He will judge those who make a show of being followers of Jesus through the spectacular, but are not known by him. Jesus says to us, acknowledge your poverty. Grieve over your brokenness. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. The gate is restricted, it's narrow, it's exclusive. It's Jesus. The destinations are determined by the gate and by the way. Eternal life, is that the choice? The pathway and the entrance is Jesus. Have you surrendered yourself to Christ? Do you belong to him? Does he know you? bow our heads for prayer. Father, your words are penetrating in their simplicity, in their clarity. And it is so easy for us to deceive ourselves. We ask that the truth of your word by your spirit would just be born deeply into our hearts. And that today, all that are under the sound of your word here would surrender themselves to you as the one and only door that leads to eternal life. The one and only way, though a path of self-denial, a path that involves suffering, a path that involves persecution and hardship, yet is a path that has been walked by you, is shared by you, 
and is a path that leads to eternal life. Lord, in the stillness of these moments, bring us back onto that path to faith in you that surrenders all our evil desires to your control. And would you lead us home? We pray this for the sake of Jesus, your son. Amen.